Ephesians 6.16 says this, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which, or with that shield of faith, with which, what is a shield of faith? A shield of metal, a shield of wood, a shield of leather. You know, they use those different things as shields. But this is called the shield of faith. And so how do you get faith? There, you can't pray for faith, you can't beg for faith, you can't fast for faith. But you can read the Bible and the Bible will give you faith because the Bible said faith comes when you hear God's word. And so notice this. It goes on to say, and the sword, I'm sorry, the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How many darts can you put out if you're doing it right? Every single one. Every negative report, everything that tells you no, everything that says uh-uh, who puts them out? We do with the shield of faith. So that means they're coming. That means they hit, but they are extinguished or put out. And he said you can put them all out. So if you're attacked with fiery darts, is that the best time to start crying and go, Why, God, why? No. Because all you've done is allowed them to hit and keep burning, and you turn and go, what's going on? That's not extinguishing them, so when you get done, they're just still going to be burning. Nobody's ever been there before. And so it's good to do it his way, because then you can put them out, and when you're done, instead of just going, why, God, what's going on? You learn to quench them, then they're out. They're out. They don't burn. And you might be facing something, and you need to start doing that, and you might get them out and go, hey, things haven't, don't look like they've changed, but actually they are changing. Amen? I said they are changing. You need to know that on the inside. Things change and are changing before you ever see them. They're changing. And so here he said, Take the shield of faith, you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Why don't everybody say this with me? Say, my situation, are you saying it, is changing now. It is changing. So the first thing some people do is they look. That's a failure. That will hurt you. Don't look. Expect that it's changing. Amen? Because it is. Notice verse 17. And God's wanting you to know that before we go on. It's changing. It's changing. It's changing. Verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation. You know, sometimes... You know, a fiery dart just has to be put out because maybe the fiery dart that's been hitting you is it's not changing, it's not changing, it hasn't changed, and you need to put that out by going, it's changing, it's changing, it's changing, it's changing. Because what happens is people lose all hope. They get discouraged because they say, it's not changing. 
How would you come to that conclusion it's not changing? Not by God. It would have to be something else. So it's good to say it's changing. Why? Not just because you're speaking to a mountain, but because you're speaking to fiery darts that would try to persuade you it's not changing. It's not working. It's not happening. Because you just keep looking at the wrong thing and those fiery darts tell you to look at the wrong thing and God's trying to tell you it is changing right now. While you're sitting here, it's changing. And you need to know that. You with me? Notice verse 17. He said, after he said, you can quench all, that's every one of the fiery darts. So it's good to say, it's changing. He's working. It's happening. Quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That just tells us there's going to be some unseen things that are going to try and light your fire. Light you on fire. And not for like, woo, praise the Lord, glory, ooh, I'm on fire for Jesus. No, not like that. Like, I'm on fire, help, uh, I'm burning. Big difference. One is confidence and you don't want that put out. And the other is lack of confidence. And you're like, what can I do? All the darts go, must go out. And things are changing. Amen. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Let's go back to verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the uh, able. On your own, you're not able. It's why you have to give effort to the things of God, because on your own, there's some things you're not able to do. But if you take the shield of faith, how could I get the shield of faith in my hand, I, or in my heart, so to speak, or take it up? I have to be diligent to give effort to, to get truth. Accept the truth. Begin to ponder the truth and, and act on the truth. I have to do something to take the shield of faith because if I do get the shield of faith, then I have the potential with it or with which you or I or anybody will be able. Able. You're able. Most people say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said it this way one time. He said, all men forsook me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me to do his will, to preach the gospel and to do the things he needed to do. So it doesn't matter who fails you, who lets you down. Don't put your dependence on man. Well, they didn't do this for me, and they didn't do that for me, and if they would have done this, I wouldn't be here right now. Paul said, nobody stood with me, but guess what? I made it. How did I make it? God stood with me, and he strengthened me. No wonder he wrote in the other place, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we can do this. He will strengthen you. Amen? 
and we can win. Well, that was less of an amen. In other words, things are changing, and uh, some of the fiery darts are just going out right now because you're starting to go, yeah, it is changing, but I don't see, but it is changing. I don't see, but it's changing. But it's changing. And so he said, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench every single, all the fiery darts. Notice what they are. He gives you an idea right here of something. He said, of the wicked one. These are not of God. Man, if you have things that are coming against you that are robbing your confidence, robbing your assurance, that have the taste of doubt, the smell of no victory or little victory, you got to know those are of the wicked one because they don't line up with God. If you're not sure what the de- who I don't know if this is the devil speaking to me or not. It's real easy. You don't need to know by seeing him with a pitchfork and a red suit and go, that's the devil. If it discourages you, tries to pull you down, drag you back, portray a picture of defeat, you just know that is not ever God. It's not. Defeat, failure, no answers to prayer is not God. It's not. You just got to know that ain't Him. Said that's not proper English. You get the point. It can't be Him. It can't. Not if His will is to be done for eternity and then we're to have it done here on earth like it's done in heaven. Then failure and defeat for eternity and and no victory in eternity and no peace in eternity. That's how eternity would have to look like if that's His will being done here like there. But we know how it is there. So we should just recognize we don't have to accept the other here But what's going to try to make you not accept it? Fiery darts. Amen? Fiery darts. And they come in different ways. You with me? They come different to different people. They can come through friends. They can come through bad reports. They can come through thoughts in your head. They can come through all different kinds of ways. Circumstances that arise. And these different fiery darts or evil reports and things that are contrary, bills that stack up, you know, they, they want you to reverence them. And they have their own presence, just like God does. Right? And where The Bible said where envy and strife is, or there's that, uh, there is confusion and every evil work. That's a presence you get. They have their own presence. The devil and his ways have their own presence. God in his ways has a presence. And he said, if you do it my way, I'll work and you'll have my presence in manifestation for your life. Amen? And so he wants us to walk in victory. Amen? And he knows that you're going to have one presence or the other in this world, and he has set it up plain and clear how to have what's right. You with me? I didn't say what's always easy, but what's right. 
and he gives a solution. And notice this, it goes on to say, after he said, and take, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the helmet of salvation. So that tells us we need to know about salvation and we need to be thinking in line with what already belongs to us, not what we're trying to get. Many people approach this trying to get stuff that God has already said is yours. And he said, you need to take the helmet of salvation, begin to think correctly. And then he said, take the sword of the Spirit. Now, we've talked about the sword of the Spirit, but notice how this really is written. It says, take the sword of the Spirit praying. Take the sword of the Spirit praying. So you take the sword of the Spirit. You need to know how to use the sword of the Spirit in life. But then you take the sword in prayer. You take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, or the basis for prayer is the things that come out of the Word of God, the confidence, the persuasion of things not seen. You take those in prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication or humble requests in the Spirit. Or in other words, all manner of prayer. And then he said, do it and be watchful to this end with all perseverance. You keep on after things and supplication for all the saints. So he tells us we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to prayer. Well, sometimes we know certain truths and so we go, okay, well that just means just say a bunch of scriptures when you pray. And then people come back with failure. And then, if we're not careful, somebody will make an excuse for our prayer failures and say, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and, you know, maybe it's just not God's will, and on and on, and maybe God just put this in my life, and then now you're thinking the evil is from God. And what does that do? Then why resist and why stand? Here's the thing. Are there cures to make you successful? Are there cures that will make me successful in prayer? Are there cures for you to be successful and victorious in this life? That's an interesting thought because if there are cures then that means maybe there are pictures of people who at one time totally failed at prayer, totally failed at getting results, totally failed, and the Lord didn't want them to fail, so he tried to help them so that when he finally left, they wouldn't fail anymore. But they would get real, real results. Turn to Matthew 17. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Because is God in the business of you being successful in prayer? Yes. And getting real results when you pray. Yes. But let's read this story and listen to it good. Now, this isn't the only time this story is told. It's told in some of the other Gospels and some other, like in Luke. And there are different emphasis, emphases that are made. Okay. And we may touch on those a little bit, but I want to read this because some of this stuff, I believe, just really stood out, uh, really stood out concerning um, 
this little boy that didn't get healed. But ultimately did get healed. And we know from the other Gospels, they, the, the, parents, uh, the parent attempted to get the child healed and delivered and then didn't, then went to, with the disciples, then went to Jesus, and then he said, your disciples couldn't do it, and then he said, but if you can do anything, and Jesus said, well, wait a minute, not if I can do anything, because so many people try to dump certain things on things, and they're missing the mark, Jesus said, no, 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 if you will believe, then you can get it. Jesus turned the tables, helped them, and then got them an answer. That part of the story is not here, but the cure side of the story for all people who would like to move further on in success in praying and getting answers is right here. And some other things maybe we'll look at. Notice this in the 14th verse. And when they had come, 1714, to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic and suffers severely. And, and he, now he's going to explain how he suffers. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. These seizures throw him down. He ends up like in a fire. Like if there's a thing, he just boom, he's in there, you know. Or in water to like drown him. And he said, so I brought him to your disciples, uh, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless, generation, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then, verse 19 says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out? So Jesus answered in verse 20 and said, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, uh, He said, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now let's go back to the 14th verse, and we're going to start over and look at some things. This is a pretty interesting story. This man is looking for help, and let's pretend like we're the disciples. We, we, we want to be used by God. We, we want to get results. And so... Notice what happens first. This is something we need to know. The disciples tried. Not only did they try, if you know the story, they were not lacking power. Because Jesus had already given them all power to cast out demons and to cure sickness and disease. And so sometimes people are saying, well, what I need in life is more power. But if you're filled with the Spirit, you don't need more power. That's like saying, well, we need more water out here on the street. No, we've got fire hydrants. They just need to be tapped into and let the flow go. And we got the water. 
But many are crying. We need more power. What we need in our day and age is more power. Where are we going to get it? Well, from God. Well, what's He going to give? Well, if you've got the Holy Spirit, then you have to understand there is no greater power. He raised Jesus from the dead. You with me? Transformed Him. I mean, raised Him up and in the process gave victory and life to all humanity. It was provided for. All they have to do is accept Him. So the release of His power was exceeding abundant, the Bible said in Ephesians, when He did that. And then it says in Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He'll do a work in your body too. In other words, the, He affected all of Jesus, every cell in His body, He'll do the same thing for you, but is there something to that happening or not? Notice this, and this I find interesting. Uh, so the father comes along in verse 16 and he said, So he brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. They could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless or lack of confidence and perverse... Perverse, that just means, you know, they're bent the wrong way. They, were, they had turned wrong internally somehow. They weren't seeing it right. He said, notice this. Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you or work with you? Those two statements are huge. He basically said this, I'm not always going to be with you. You guys have got to get this down because I won't be here forever just to, when you call on me to come and do this. He said, I'm not going to be here. See, because what they did was they met him as a man anointed of the Spirit. And so they could run to him for trouble, but they said, hey, he said, listen, I'm not always going to be here. You got to get this. And if you will read the stories in the Bible, Jesus kept trying to get the disciples to come up and get answers, calm a storm, literally do different works and acts. As a matter of fact, one time when a bunch of people were super hungry and Jesus said we can't just send them on their way he said you feed them and they said how can we do that see Jesus kept encouraging his people to rise up to the right place in God and and so here he said okay well bring him here because I'm still here so you can literally bring him to me he said and then Jesus rebuked rebuked this spirit that was in him and it came out and the child was cured from that very hour uh, then the disciples came to him notice this privately they privately said why couldn't we so here's the thing have you ever asked if I'm not getting a result what, what's the issue here what is the issue we know this, that Jesus rebuked them. Because it talks like that. And many times Jesus rebuked his disciples. Do you know what he seemed to rebuke his disciples often about? Their unbelief. 
their, their, their unbelief. It's because he was trying to get them out of unbelief and into believing. And so he would rebuke him. He, even when, you, you know, the times when he said, because their hardness of heart, he said, because you didn't believe. And so was he just mad at him going, I can't believe it. No, the reason he rebuked them was to help them come over to the right place so they could leave unbelief and be in belief. Because we see at the end of this story, if you can get into belief, he said then you can pretty much, once you figure this out, you can just start getting, you can just start pulling the lever and getting stuff. Bam, 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 bam. Didn't he say that? And so they said, then 19, then the disciples came to him privately and he said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. So they got their answer, their unbelief. Turn to Matthew 14. So it's a pretty interesting progression, you know. They attempt, you know, to get this. Uh, Jesus rebukes them for a lack of result because Jesus wanted them to have results. You with me? And then they came privately, and what's interesting, who knows if Jesus would have told them if they didn't come and ask. The Bible said, seek and you will find. The Bible said, you have not because you ask not. They asked why, and they got an answer. Have you ever asked God about something? He'll give you an answer if you'll seek him. And they asked, and they said, well, how come? And he said, I'm going to give you your answer. He said, this is why. So if we find ourselves doubting or in unbelief, because they didn't even, they didn't know why they didn't get the results. See, they had been getting results, but they didn't even know why. Because if you would have known, would you have asked? No, you would have already known. Right? He said, well, why am I not? He said, this is your problem. This is what needs to be changed. And if you change it, then you'll just get results after results after results after results. So if you have a situation and you've asked the Lord and he's dealt with you, start moving down that path because that is the answer. Not what you want to do or what the way you got it figured out, but the way he has it figured out. And so they asked, Notice this in Matthew 14, uh, because don't we all want to come to that last part where it says all things, you know, whatever, believing, you, you can have it? That means all things. That means what you need, you can have, and God is not opposed to it. Why would he tell you how to do it if he didn't want you to have it? Why? That would seem not correct. Here's a shovel. Here's a map. Follow it to the X. That's where the gold is. Now don't do it. That doesn't make sense. Matthew 14 is an interesting story. Matthew 14. But I do want to say this. They wondered enough that they just didn't surrender. 
Sometimes people just surrender. Well, I guess it's not God's will. They knew better, so they didn't surrender. You know what I mean by surrender? Just give up and go, we're just, we're just going to not get results, you know. They, they were bothered by not getting a result to the point where they got alone with the Lord after the crowd was gone and after their way, and they said, what, what is the issue? And here's the thing. Jesus corrected people often about their faith. When it came to people who wanted to follow him, that's one of the main things he went after. Why? Because he wanted to help them. You with me? He wanted them to learn to trust him. Matthew 14, verse 22. It says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples, Matthew 14, 22, get into the boat, and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. It's a good thing to do. Talk to the Lord. Now, when evening had come, he was alone. And you know, you can get much in prayer. But even what you get in prayer needs to be acted on. And it says, in other words, when they asked, what, what's our problem? What, what's the cure to our inability to get results? He, he gave them the cure. So you think they worked on the cure? You better believe it. Go look at their lives after that. And after he was gone, you'll see they were working the cure, so to speak, in their own life. They were helping people get results later on. And so here... It says, uh, verse 23, And when he had sent them away, he went up on the mountain and he prayed. Now, when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now, verse 24, in the, in the, uh, now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. You could say it like this. Circumstances were getting the best of these guys. For the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. They cried out for fear. And verse 27 says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him in verse 28. Because, think about it. This is Jesus wanting and being willing to have Peter walk on the water. Jesus is willing to have miracles through your life. Do you want them? None of the others asked, but he said, he's walking on the water. It looks good to me. If he's walking on the water, sounds like something I'd like to do. Hey. Right? And so he said, he's, and then Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. 
And one thing Peter did when he heard from God was he didn't reason about it. He immediately acted. He didn't reason and think, well, can I do this? Should I not do this? That gets people in trouble when they start reasoning the wrong way. So he got out of the boat. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, so I don't know have he just swung over the rail and got there and turned around and it said he just walked on the water to go to Jesus. So he's just blazing. I mean, he's doing it. I, it doesn't say he took one step and went, whoa, Lord, help me. He is doing it. He is doing it. I mean, this is a cool story. If it would have ended right there, we would have gone, wow, Peter. But I'm so glad it tells us uh, all these things because how many goofy ideas have we got out of this story? Religious, dumb ideas that are just not helpful. And this is to be a help to really, for us, to know he started off doing it. I mean, he is cruising. But then as he goes along... Something starts happening. Maybe we should relish in the fact he's doing it at first. He is really, really, I mean, his socks aren't even getting wet. I mean, you know, I don't know if he had big tube socks with the red bands on the top, and he's like, woo, holding up his little thing, going, look at me. And he's cruising, look at it, I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, I mean, he is walking. But, like I've said many times, if there's a verse after, we might want to read it, because it may have something to do with this. Verse 30 starts off with, but. Oh, man, but. That's not, that's not good. You know, ever somebody tell you something? Oh, I believe God. I'm believing God, but. You know, we believe, but, like one man said, you need to move your butt. Instead of saying, there's a problem, but God. Instead of, God said this, but there's a problem. And it says, but. Now we're just going to have to swallow it. Go on. And when he saw the wind was boisterous, he became or was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. So he was close. I mean, it's not like Jesus had super, uh, you know, those powers like, you know, like, you know, the X-Men, like she turns into another person or, you know, like super fast, you know, or like that stretch guy and he goes, whoop, and he grabbed him by his hand. He didn't have that. He just had arms like us, so he was able to go like this. So he, he had walked to go to Jesus, and he was right there. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, he rebuked him. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt or quit believing? 
Now, here's what we need to understand. Somebody said, well, then he needed a lot of faith. No. This little faith here is not necessarily size. That's helpful. Because what we've done many times is we defined little as little faith. But think about the, we know Mark, Mark's gospel when he tells about the story of the parable of the sower. He sows the word, troubles come, so on and so forth. But if you look at some of the other gospels, when troubles come, it said when the troubles come, they only believe for a little while. Then when the tests come, they give up. They quit trusting and they surrender the word. This little here, I believe, is they only, he exercised his faith only for a little while. And then something happened that made him stop. I shouldn't say made him stop. He chose to stop. And when they had got into the boat, it says the wind ceased. But here, let's look at this because you're going to love this. Somebody said, I don't know if I'm going to love this. But he gives us a cure right here. He, he says something that will help us. It takes it one step further than just unbelief. And that doubt that he explained the problem, he actually says some stuff here that will help remedy us. Notice this. He was afraid. He began to sink and he cried out. Why did he get to this problem place? He got his attention and acceptance. He started accepting problems as something bigger than what God had said. That is really doubt. Accepting things that are problems bigger than God. And bigger than what God said. Bigger than what God promised. And so that would fill your heart with fear, wouldn't it? Because now you believe the problem's bigger. The situation is bigger. God can't do anything. Well, we know he can, but he's just not. That's unbelief. And what his problem was, was he got fixed on the wrong thing. What I find fascinating is what Jesus said to him. He said this, and immediately Jesus, verse 31, stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why? Let me say it in another way. The King James says, wherefore did you doubt? We all know he doubted, right? Some of us do. Just pretend like the people who said yes are right. He doubted. We know why he doubted. Would you agree? He totally started looking at the problem and allowing it to get magnified instead of just going, no, this is what God said, and keeping his mind fixed on the answer and believing the answer. He got his attention over on the wrong thing. Hear me on this. Jesus said, wherefore, or let me say it a different way, for what good reason, Peter, did you doubt? What good reason did you doubt? We all know why he doubted, right? But Jesus said, for what good reason really did you... Can you give me a good reason why you doubted what I said? 
Now, we all know why he doubted, but do you know Peter couldn't give him a good reason why he doubted? You know why? Because there is no good reason to doubt what God said, especially because God's word is greater than all things. So is there really a good reason to doubt? Oh, but look at the problem. Peter knew better than to answer. He knew better because he knew there isn't a good answer. I can't say, well, Lord, you know, the winds were blowing, the waves were going. He knew what he did, but it wasn't worthy of an answer. He didn't even answer. He knew what he did, but he didn't answer. And Jesus asked him, why did you doubt? Why? You know, why he doubted was he chose to look at this as something bigger than what the Lord said. So he said, why, why did you do that? So here's a thought. If he said, why, then that really throws the ball, so to speak, back on me. Because Jesus didn't say you couldn't help it. He said, why? You could say it this way. Why did you choose to accept that and look at that instead of accept what I said? And stay with what I said. Why? And Peter could not answer. Well, I guess he could have. But he knew there is no right answer here. Because what if he would have said, well, you know the winds and the wave. You know Jesus would have said, my word was working at first. And then you stopped it allowed it to be stopped up because you you just started focusing on something that is inferior and it was already being proved superior you with me because remember this the cure to doubt and unbelief and what happens many times is in life distractions come circumstances come People get infatuated with them. The Bible said those things choke the word of God and it becomes unfruitful. So then what makes it fruitful? It would have to be the opposite. It would have to be like when Moses, or Noah, I'm sorry, built the ark. He wasn't moved by what he saw. He wasn't bothered that it had never rained. He had a word from God and he stuck with it and went after it. And that's how he saw life. And that's the way he looked at things. And he went, if God said it, this is how it is. And this is the way it is. In other words, why did you do this meant, I didn't want you to do this. But you had a choice in it. I am convinced he could have changed right there. And said, from now on, I'm believing what you said, and I'm not going to be moved by what I see. I'm not going to be moved by what I feel. Those stuff is going to come. I'm going to internally get fixed and go for it. Amen? He wanted them. He wanted them to walk on the water. He wanted them to get results in prayer. But he said, the thief of doubt and unbelief will rob you. And really, it has to do with what are we really focusing on and accepting as final in our life. What I see, 
what I experienced or what God said. And if you'll bear down and go, no, it is what God said, those winds of adversity may blow, but you're so fixed, you don't care. You'll go right through. You'll see that because he said, then all things will be made available to you and you can have them in your life.